Welcome to this bonus Meet the Author in 15 Minutes episode of the Evolving Leader podcast. I'm John Gomes, and I'm talking to Stuart McLaughlin and Dean Sanders about their new book, The Adventure of Sustainable Performance. Stuart and Dean, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Great to be here, John. Thank you for, for joining us. Can we quickly get to know you, introduce yourselves to our listeners and give us a quick tour of your experiences and how you formed your sense of purpose and mission to change how businesses operate? Yes. Uh, if, I, um, if I kick off, John, I'm Stuart McLaughlin uh, and uh, I've been in this world for 30, 35 years. Uh, in fact, I probably had my epiphany moment back in 1985 in the first year of my degree uh, and uh, that's when I was first taught about the climate crisis, which is perhaps a reminder of how long we've known about this crisis and how long we've known about climate science. In fact, Margaret Thatcher gave a keynote speech to the United Nations the, the day before the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, uh, where she spoke very eloquently about the reality of the climate science and, uh, and the need for the world to decarbonize. Uh, and... Um, so I sort of carried that forward uh, with the knowledge, I suppose, that at some point in my likely lifetime, there will be the biggest transformational change that humanity has ever seen as we respond to climate crisis and we, and, and we wean ourselves off uh, our dependency on fossil fuel. And, uh, and so as time's gone, I've sort of I've become a greater believer that uh, the business can be used for good. And uh, so I've, I've spent much of my career, much of the last 30 years, building businesses uh, with purpose to deliver impact into this uh, sustainability agenda. And uh, uh, my name's Dean Sanders. Uh, I'm a colleague of Stuart. We work together in the same uh, advisory firm on sustainability, or what we call sustainable performance, and you alluded to that, John, when you set up uh, our book. Uh, but my, my the sort of journey and the road that led me to do that work uh, started somewhat differently uh, to Stuart. I started my career in in marketing and brand building um, and worked client side for a number of years um, and then switched to agency side uh, and consultancy side um, and set up my own business, a company which was called Good Brand, which joined with our thesis about four or five years ago. And our, and our mission was to use the power of brands and the commercial scale of organizations that, that steward those brands to effect change for good and, and positive impact and, and, and so uh, really the work that I've been doing for the last 25 years through Good Brand and now through Anthesis is to connect the sustainability agenda and the requirement to make the really important interventions in the natural world that Stuart and, and, and other colleagues who, who kind of come from the natural sciences um, that, that we need to make that change and that shift you know, in those systems but I'm really interested in the behavior changes the, and the sociological changes that we need to make in order to affect that change. Excellent. Okay, can we start with the pitch for the book? Who's it aimed at and what will it help them to achieve? Uh, we've written it for leaders. We've written it for the, for the kinds of people that we, we seek to guide in this relatively uncertain, quite volatile, dynamic transition zone that we talk about in the book from... Uh, from you know, today, which is a uh, frequently a sustainability agenda that's characterized by a need to comply with regulation, with law increasingly, uh, but also with the expectations of investors um, or uh, customers. Um, and, and it's just a kind of fire hose of mandatory requirements that, are, that is really 
uh, I think, exposing leaders in, in the C-suite to a, a, an extremely onerous, punitive workflow that is uh, probably only creating value in the sense that it means you can survive for another day. Uh, and our belief is that most leaders are not going into the work that they do just to comply and just so that they can have another run at it the next day. It, we think that leaders want to create enterprises that are exciting, uh, that are creating value, uh, that are innovating. And, and, and we want to encourage such leaders to think differently about the sustainability agenda and to, and to plug it into the other parameters of, of performance and success. Uh, and not have it as a sort of compliance sideshow. So it's very much aimed at um, the leadership community. And and, and, and I think we, we framed it uh, at once when Stu and I were discussing that. Uh, really, individuals in leadership who have been entrusted with significant assets uh, and need to get those assets from a kind of compliance agenda into performing in a new era. Yeah, one one of the things that comes out of the book is you're trying to create a shift from compliance to value creation and looking at a different kind of value creation system and some of the mindsets that come alongside that, uh, moving out the binary, it's either or performance or it's it's this uh, you know, contribution to the planet. Can you just kind of nail this idea about how does a leader shift their thinking to get into that kind of way of looking at, at the opportunities? Yeah, I mean, that's why we introduced the concept of sustainable performance, really, which sits uh, between sort of profit performance, uh, financial performance, and um, and purpose performance. Uh, and, you know, the the magic is really somewhere in between those where you can actually identify that you get superior economic performance on the other side of purpose. So lean into purpose, you know, look at things through an impact lens. Uh, and if you do that, then the consequence of that will be will be improved EBITDA and all the other financial KPIs that the business leaders uh, the business leaders seek uh, and um, and so we've uh, we've sought to come up with lots of examples as to to where we can sort of demonstrate that that kind of thinking does lead to superior performance uh, and um, and we've explored different kind of economic models within the book because we've identified that the models and the systems that we're typically operating in today are broken. Uh, and, uh, and there is a tendency for leaders to try to shore up the walls of the broken systems, uh, what we call strongholds in the, uh, in the book. Uh, and, um, and they do that because these are, they might be broken, but they are perceived places of safety and that they are storehouses of wealth. Uh, and so we have to get our heads around uh, the reality that these are, these are places that people do not want to move out of. Uh, and that is understandable. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much the world shouts at them. Uh, there is a, there's a, a fear instinct here, which is keeping people in these broken models and systems. Uh, and um, so what we are pointing out in the book is, is that actually people don't have a choice anymore. You know, even if you really don't care about the planet, you don't care about future generations, you don't care about the, you know, the reality of the science and so on and so forth. Uh, you don't have a choice because the big stick of compliance is out. And this is not the kind of, we're not seeing the sort of regulation, the type of regulation that, that requires incremental nudges in improvement. We're seeing regulation that is going to force people out 
of these strongholds. Uh, and say, okay, enough's enough. You've got to move. You've got to move. You've got to step in the transition zone. You've got to go on a journey. Uh, and so in writing the book, you know, we try to make uh, it as accessible as we can because typically the feedback we get from business leaders is the, is the subject of sustainability is too technical. Uh, and it's not linked with value creation. It's not linked with economic performance. Uh, and um, uh, and often, you know, you, you pick up a sustainability book and it focuses on carbon um, or it focuses on waste or it focuses on water or it focuses on social and so on. And the reality is that they're all interdependent. Uh, and business leaders uh, have got to weigh up all these different drivers as they step into this transition. Uh, and it's not going to be linear either. You know, I mean, we've got to, we've got to recognize that, you know, as you step into a journey, you know, it's a bit like if you try to get to the summit of a mountain, summit of a mountain, you know, the times when you've actually got to pause, or you've got to take a step back or you've got to find a different route and so on. You know, that's, that's the adventure. Um, so hopefully, you know, that's, um, that's, that, well, that's why we call the book, what we call the book is because we recognize it's a journey, it's an adventure, it's a place of peril, it's a place of opportunity. Uh, but the ultimate goal in terms of the destination is this new model that we are calling sustainable performance. All the things that you've worked on, what's the most compelling case study or example where you've been able to marry the, the, uh, the, the, the commercial opportunity with the sustainability challenge? You know, I think that um, I've done a lot of work in uh, tropical agricultural systems, uh, such as cocoa and coffee and to some extent, fruits and tea and various others and, and those are really important and material areas for a number of reasons firstly the activity takes place in some of the richest most biodiverse parts of the world uh, also frequently in producing countries that are still developing and, and, and with many with a significant proportion of the population underserved without access to economic opportunity and that you know, leads to all sorts of you know, challenges for those multinational organizations that, that, that are buying produce from, from, from those countries um, and, and, and and actually also some of those agricultural systems are very much at risk from the impacts of climate change and, and, and volatility and weather patterns and we're seeing that already in cocoa and in coffee with you know, in all sorts of ways yeah. and We've worked with uh, a, a company, uh, Nespresso, um, very closely over a number of years, where uh, the leadership very early on, you know, 25 years ago, was sort of saying, well, look, our business is growing. Consumers in Europe and, 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 and in the US in particular really enjoy high-quality coffee. Now, high-quality coffee is at risk of the impacts of climate change and, indeed, uh, from a lack of economic inclusion of producers, yet next-generation uh, leaving the rural areas to go to the city. So they created a, a very innovative program working together with an NGO, the Rainforest Alliance, uh, but not just buying certified coffee, working deliberately with farmers. Uh, and they created a program called the AAA program, which, which integrated Nespresso's coffee quality principles, which is a really commercially critical issue for them, is the highest quality coffee with the sustainability principles of a non-government organization, Rainforest Alliance, to, to uniquely and for the first time integrate the commercial need of quality with the sustainability requirement. 
And that, and in fact, they're celebrating right now 20 years of partnering, uh, partnering together. They've grown from about 300 uh, farmers initially to around about 140,000 farmers who are part of that program. But what they've also done is gone a stage further than that. They've actually, what they've learned about sustainable quality coffee cultivation and switching towards regenerative agriculture practices, uh, they're actually deliberately going into problematic areas, uh, post-conflict zones, post-hurricane zones, to rebuild the coffee sector and to revitalize it through a program that they've created called Reviving Origins, that then gives access to their consumers to very unique flavor profiles and qualities of coffee that are having a positive impact on communities that were actually very disadvantaged you know, in, a, in a post-war scenario or in a, in a post-natural uh, disaster scenario. So, and and th- some of those coffees are premium coffees, fastest selling coffees in the range. And, and, and consumers love to, to not only experience them, but to talk about the stories of positive impact uh, behind that work. So I think what the Nespresso is doing is, is really worldly, certainly in, in the coffee sector, but I think they're a, a great example of what uh, pioneering and visionary leaders can do when they start to focus their resources. And, and would you say that's an example of this kind of total value creation system? I, I think it is. I think actually, interestingly, I think not just for, for Nespresso, but with much of the work we're doing with other classes, we're now starting to look at how we can measure the, the additional socioeconomic and environmental impacts that are occurring as a consequence of that work, but which are not reflected in the traditional ways of accounting. And they're not necessarily in your PL or in your cash flow or your balance sheet, but, but they are critically important because they measure, as you just said, John, the total value creation rather than the somewhat kind of myopic or introspective notion of value creation within, within sort of normal financial accounts. So, um, so I think that's a really exciting example. I know Stuart's got others. And- yeah, yeah well, no, I mean, I, I think I, I talk about, um, you know, the, again, the sort of traditional way of doing business that, uh, the, you know, for those of us who've been to business school, we typically get taught is the, uh, is the sort of, you know, primary activities. Um, and, uh, you know, your supply chain and your clients are viewed as externalities. Uh, and um, so you use your... Yeah, in, the, in terms of the supply chain, you would use your buyer leverage over supplier leverage to try to get better deals in the agricultural world. That means high yield, lower cost year on year. That's the ask. And if you don't deliver, then they go to the competition. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and that has worked well for a lot of organizations because they've been able to leverage more value within those primary activities that then typically finds its way to shareholders. Um, and we're not suggesting for a moment that value shouldn't find their way, its way to the sh- to shareholders. Uh, we're just suggesting that if you consider all your stakeholders, actually you might be even more successful uh, in terms of the value that you can create. And um, and so what we're saying with the total value system is is that um, you need to start to get your arms around the full value system, uh, which. Uh, means not seeing your customers and your supply chain as externalities. Uh, and, um, and so some of the more sort of pioneering organizations, such as the ones that you just heard from Dean, have recognized that for some time and see their, their business more as an ecosystem, uh, where they can actually connect their clients directly up with their suppliers and so on. And they've got that kind of relationship. Um, most organizations in the world don't operate like that. Uh, and yet we've got this thing called net zero that now requires organizations to take 
their suppliers and their customers with because to be able to deliver net zero, you've got to do something called scope three. You've got to measure scope three emissions. You're responsible for scope three emissions, which is effectively in your customer base and your supply, your supply chain. So just that, and there are lots of other reasons and drivers as well. But but effectively, the journey that we're talking about into the transition, you've got to take your suppliers and your customers with you. So therefore, you've got to get your hands around the full value system and really understand what's going on. Uh, which means that you you know you move typically from relationships of leverage to relationships of loyalty, uh, and this has a fundamental impact on the way you run your business, and it's typically going to uh, require organisations to move from linear business models where you take stuff off the ground, you make stuff, you manufacture, you sell it, you throw it away, uh, to um, to needing to get your product back at end of life, or probably there will be no end of life. Uh, and and start to move your business model into a circular system where your customers effectively become your supply chain. Uh, and uh, and then you can start to sort of imagine all the kind of implications of that, sort of, you know, I mean, if you go to ERP or your stock systems, the way you incentivize your sales force and so on, it all changes. You know, so we're just, we're just touching here on some of the sort of trans- transformational change that is going to be driven in the coming years. And if I, if I could, John, just just jump in very briefly, just a, the example I just gave on Nespresso is an example of a, of, a, of a company, if you want, in a sense, uh, reforming itself or reshaping itself around these demands of t- today. But there are plenty of companies being created all the time, and there are companies that are being created into what we call day two, in the metaphor that we use in the book, uh, who are not encumbered by any sort of legacy uh, they're actually being built to solve the problems that we have. So there are decarbonization businesses that are, you know, carbon capture uh, storage and carbon capture utilization businesses that are turning carbon that's been captured from, from atmospheric carbon into useful products. And we set out some examples of that in, in the book too, or, or businesses that are that are offering pollination services and, 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 and you know, kind of encouraging, you know, bring, reintroducing beekeeping back into production systems because of the uh, of the absence of biodiversity so yeah it is really interesting not just to think about we tend to think about incumbents there's a whole bunch of really exciting startup pioneers who are building new businesses for the new era that we're entering into final question to you uh, both you're sitting in front of the ceo and the accountable members in the c-suite and i think your book kind of helps them to go on a journey about some of the big things that they will need to consider in terms of shifts of priority, focus, and problems to solve. Can you just lay a little bit of that agenda out, you know, the first conversation that, that you might expect to have with you? Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of fear in the boardroom for a lot of different reasons, not just the agenda we're talking about, but there's a lot of fear in the boardroom. And, and, uh, but certainly the kind of things we're talking about has contributed to that. So we say, do not be paralysed by that, don't be paralyzed by the fear of that and by the transformational change and by all the regulation that is coming down the pipe and is, is starting to um, to bite. Um, uh, because there are successful ways of navigating effectively through that uh, regulation uh, and, uh, and the compliance agenda, but also recognize that this is not an agenda where, you know, you can, you can cut a check um, and get back to business as usual. Uh, and um, and so uh, our um, our council, if you like, on the first meeting is to see to really check in to see whether there is that mindset, that understanding 
of the reality of that situation and then really start to test you know whether there is the kind of right type of leadership across uh, an organization to be able to embrace these kind of challenges and indeed whether there is the organizational will um, and and where there is then uh, then we can start to shift the conversation into a place which is far more exciting it's a place you know that is uh, is full of opportunity and potential value creation uh, which is what as Dean says we call in the book day two do you want to yeah no, I just I mean I think obviously uh, the most important thing in any of those discussions is to listen and we're always listening out for opportunity that the nature of the leaders around the table the, the, the nature of their experiences are they are they getting in touch with us because they've been completely beaten up on a particular topic or are they just sort of thinking well the investors need, need a bit more ESG you know so they're coming at this from all sorts of different directions and I think Often in those sort of discussions, I think there's the two sort of underlying themes. One is relief, and the other one is excite. And I think that, that you know, if it goes really plays into the compliance and the performance agenda, I mean, yes, there is compliance, but you know, we can help you, uh, we can guide you, uh, we, we can support you. You're not on your own. Many other organizations are dealing with these same issues, and, 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 and it is possible to deal with them. But it's not just about saying, don't worry, uh, you know, we've got the, we can help you get the compliance in check and, uh, and under control. It is to be, uh, what I, what the great privilege of the work we do is to find out about the many exciting enterprises that are out there. And, and people want to do good things in their business. You know, it's not universally true, of course, there are, there are others out there who are not thinking. I mean, most of the people we're working with are people with good intention and good heart and they're, and they're responsible for big organizations and assets and getting them excited about the unique opportunity that they have through their business to make a positive impact in the world is really one of the things I'm always looking to to sort of get to very quickly in those businesses, not just to say, here's another grid, here's another checklist, how are you doing, but you know, where are you going, what's your purpose, what's your intention, what are your convictions, and I think that's always a really exciting place to start any conversation. Well. Um, Dean and Stuart, I really appreciate your time. I know this is a, a quick um, turn the water on, on a very big subject, but I think on behalf of you know, the Evolving Leader team and our listeners, I mean, really appreciate the work you're doing. It's important, it's critical work um, to, to create a better world for us all uh, and for our children. So um, you know, keep keep keep, um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's in, it's incredible. Um, where can people get hold of you if they want to know more? Yeah, uh, so uh, we might have picked up on the company name. So it's, uh, it's Anthes- Anthesis Group. Uh, and um, so uh, you'll be able to, to Google us. We are a large global specialist uh, sustainability services and solutions firm. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and obviously you can, um, you can Google uh the, um, the title of the book, The Adventure of Sustainable Performance, which is widely available. Uh, we also have um, a website that is somewhat nascent at the moment, but um, the metaphor uh, we use in the book, uh, which is for another time, but it's, it's canoeing under elephants. Um, and so we've got canoeingunderelephants.com, uh, and our idea is to start to showcase some of these uh, these inspiring leaders, uh, the pioneers to... Um, to to sort of encourage and, and help some other people who are perhaps starting out on the journey. 
That's an interesting and visual. Great, John, to uh, to invite your listeners to to kind of connect with us on LinkedIn and just join the discussion. So yeah. Well, we will we will put uh, all of those links into the show guide um, for for this episode so that people don't have to to Google and can find it directly. But um, Dean Stewart, many thanks for for joining me, and uh, we wish you good fortune in your work. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Interesting discussion. Thank you. Thanks, John.